Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my lovely co-host who has new glasses today for those who are, well, not watching, but if you see Matt, you know, throughout the next couple weeks, you may notice him with new glasses. Matt, I think they look great. How are you doing today? Well, it's like a whole new me with these glasses on, so I guess I feel pretty good. <laughs> right. And you look like, and you actually told me this earlier, you kind of look like Clark Kent a little bit. There's a story behind it, and whether or not you want to tell it over the pod is up to you. But when you said it, it you totally definitely have the resemblance there. Yeah, I don't know if I'll unpack that story. I don't think it's a good, it's better with the hand motions. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. There was always, I had a coworker who, with my, an old, old pair of glasses, always said I looked like <laughs> Superman and would go like, Clark. And so I guess I'm kind of back to that look now. Right. So if you're out there and you see Matt, you know, during NAPE or maybe some AD conference or something that's coming up, ask him about the glasses, Clark Kent, Superman story. He's got the whole hand gesture thing going and it's good. I actually thought it was quite funny. Anyway, how's, I mean, how's off-season baseball? We haven't talked about baseball lately. What's going on? Well, I mean, you know, we're less than 25 days until pitchers and catchers report. Like, I mean, we're, what is that? I don't. So spring training starts. So pitchers and catchers report first. Okay. So like a month later, let's see, something like that. The whole team is there, but pitchers and catchers report first. Okay. So like we're getting close. Astros Fan Fest was this past weekend. What? And so like for a dollar voucher, you can go and pay a bunch of money to, well. They have like things where they have a bunch of stuff at the ballpark. So you can pay to get like meet with players and all that. And I brought my son Elijah. So we did, we didn't do any of the like those things, but there had to have been 35,000 people there is what I heard. But think about this, not 35,000 people in the stadium, 35,000 people on the main concourse. Whoa. Because people aren't in the seats or anything like that. And I mean, they have some cool things like you can pay to get a time slot where you can play catch on the outfield no way. or like, you know, run the bases or that sort of thing. But huh. it was just so crowded. Uh. But my son was so patient and, you know, like it's just funny the way he sees the world and everything. So yeah. like, you want to get your face painted and there's this long line. I was like, well, I guess we're not getting our face painted. And like I've given these adults dirty looks that are getting like their face painted because I'm like, my kid shouldn't be waiting on you, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's about the kids, man. Come on. We found another line. We got the face painting thing. What did he get painted? He had a like an Altuve jersey. Ah, cool. Um, which a good was one. pretty funny because the night before, he had a unicorn painted on the other side of his face. <laughs> his full <laughs> face tats. <laughs> yeah. And then we got a balloon hat. That was That's also important. free. We got our picture with Jeff Blum and Mike Stanton at AT&T Sportsnet. Oh, cool. Um, so Elijah hold the mic and everything. No and way. So that was kind of, I mean, those were the like shorter lines, easy to get into. And and then it was funny, on the way out, they have like a Chevy Trailblazer, like, you know, the, like the demo car you could walk up and look. He played in that for like 15 minutes. That wasn't even a feature thing, you know, yeah. nobody was in line for that. So <laughs> he found his own feature. He pushed some buttons, had a good time. Nice. And we saw Robert Ford. So Robert Ford is one of the radio guys. Okay. And his whole thing when you hit home run is he goes, see you later, see you later, see you later. Oh. And so Elijah's like, where's the guy that goes, see you later, see you later, see you later. <laughs> I was like, there he is right yeah. there. So <laughs> that's, I mean, again, like you said, it was crowded, but he probably enjoyed it regardless. It wore him out, but I think he had a good time. So Fan Fest, I would say, was the big development. Yeah. Even though we didn't, you know, bump in, rub elbows with a bunch of 
you know. So were there players like, there? Oh, there were a ton. Oh, there were. Okay. Yeah, I mean, some of it was sort of like you got to pay to like get your picture <laughs> taken with them or other yeah. things. I, I wasn't going to do any of that with Elijah, but some of them were just walking around the concourse. I'd heard. Cool. Granted, you know, it was like a five-hour thing, and we were only there for an hour and a half. But sure. So when yeah. you say concourse, what is the concourse? Is that like the main level? Yes, yeah, like when you're walking around, but right when you walk in the stadium, that level. Oh, okay. So you couldn't go on the field and hang out unless you had like a time slot or something. So you had a time slot, or the other thing that killed me, without this podcast going totally off the rails, was <laughs> so Astros buddies strongly endorse. It's like thirty bucks. You get four tickets to a game. Your kid gets like a backpack and a hat and like you know all that stuff. So, but they also get to run the bases. They get to go in front to run bases on Sundays when the Astros have a home game. Well, they had a big line because we've already paid for it. And I couldn't tell if it was to pick up packets or to sign up. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm not going to wait in the line to get his packet if it turns out I get to the front and all it is is to sign up. Yeah. So we kept going. And then I get down to where you can run the bases. And there's this huge line. And then there's a line right next to it. It says, fast pass and buddy pass. Oh. Cut ahead. I was like, if we would have gotten in line, I could have gotten that pass. <laughs> and could have run the bases. Because he really wanted to go on the field. And I was just like, I bet. man, I'm sorry. Yeah. So right. well, now next, next, year, next year. Yeah. We learned a thing or two. That's it. The next year will be even better. Well, yeah. Appreciate all the listeners who don't care about baseball just hanging in there. Because we are going to talk about drilling fluids today. And a topic that came up over lunch, which, you know, again, I think is very important to note. And we've prepared, obviously, to kind of generate conversation around something that, as a mud engineer, was always kind of this odd sort of, well, how much and this, that, and the other. And today we're going to talk about evaporation and losses and really just have a conversation around it because it's very, it's complex. There's somewhat science, but conceptually we can wrap our head around a few things and just bring some things to light that are worth discussing with your engineering department or account manager, customer, whoever it is, because there's just, it's not black and white. And so, Matt, I mean, at first, how would you describe evaporation and where does that occur on surface? So, I mean, the complicated part about evaporation is that it's complicated, but basically not all of your mud losses are to cuttings if you don't have, you know, downhole losses. Some of them can just straight up be to vapors coming off the fluid. Now, particularly if you think about let's just go to the higher temperature wells where, you know, you see steam coming straight off the shakers, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's liquid that was in your mud that's going somewhere. And if you do that all day long, you will lose a volume that is greater than zero, but not as large as many people think. Right. Somewhere between there. And it can depend on the weather. It can depend on so many different things, but it's generally going to be more heat and relative humidity related. And so... It may be more extreme in a high temperature well. It may be negligible in, in a cooler well. Right. And so I think this is sort of when we get in the middle is where we have all these arguments about how much fluid we actually likely lost to evaporation. Right. So if we look, and I know you read a lot of papers, over time, have you come across any literature that has really sort of quantified or qualified how much, when, temperatures? Like, is there anything out there that people can reference? Or, I mean, can you touch a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, so there's a few spreadsheets and that sort of thing. And I mean, the problem is nothing can account for every single factor, right? right? So what I think is the equations that you find in the literature, first, if you, if you test them out, you know, see if they right, look yeah. at check a mud report and be like, does this even make sense relative to what we see typically? Like, and if it falls in line, it typically is a function of the water content of the fluid, some exponent, 
involving your temperature, you know, your flow line temperature. Mm-hmm. Even some of the literature will say, look, flow line dimensions are different because it's, you know, how fast does it cool? How much surface area is there yeah. as it cools? That kind of thing. So the one thing that those equations may bring to the table is at least a standard where everybody says, we're all going to go by this number and everything else is going to be losses to cuttings or solids control or whatever. Right. But nothing can be perfect. I mean, even even the salinity of your mud could change how much water it's willing to give up, right? Right. So, but we also know that evaporation can dramatically affect fluid quality, right? Yeah. I mean- you got to keep the water running in those hot wells. Yeah. So we know we're giving it water and we're giving it more water, not just for dilution, but because we're losing some. Mm-hmm. So I think you sort of have these factors that you see, but within the technical literature, I mean, I've seen people cite how much they were losing to evaporation. I've seen a few people offer up some equations, predominantly like universities where you'd say, okay, this is pretty academic. Mm-hmm. And I don't have all these constants that you're asking me for. Yeah. And then there's just sort of rules of thumb if you were to Google them. Yeah. Yeah. The rule of thumb thing is tough. And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, this is what we do. But again, it, it varies, right? Because like you said, it varies on, you know, your water content. I would imagine somewhat your density just because of how much water is in, in the mud. But for all sort of argument's sake, you know, the cooler, the shallower you are, the cooler the flow line temperature is, likely you're going to use less than you would, say, if you're, you know, 300 degrees, you know, bottom hole temperature. But what's, you know, if you're trying to learn, what is a good, I guess, starting point, or is there one to be able to say, okay, I mean, some mud engineers may do process of elimination. It's like, well, I know I, well, I say, I know I lost this much to cuttings. Like, you don't, sometimes you have a decent idea based off the data that you've collected. But like you said, because you are losing some, but from your experience, I guess this is maybe a better way of asking it. Is it enough to where it makes a significant difference just in, say, unconventionals where you may be at 150 to 250 bottom hole temperature? Like, is, is it like 20 barrels a day or through your experience, have you kind of found that it's not really that impactful or? It's not that much. I think there's an aspect of sort of process of elimination where it's like, look, I built this much volume. I probably lost this much on cuttings. Where you could say, look, you know, I found 10 barrels I'm not really sure about and yeah, and maybe, yeah. you know. But I think most of the time evaporation is a much more important conversation at much higher flow line temperatures than, what, 125, the, you know. Yeah. Where I think that probably matters a bit more is in those higher temperature wells. And I think you're a little bit more ready for it in that case. Like you can see your well water ratio shift. Or you can see, shoot, my old water ratio shifted this much. I had to give it this much water over a certain time period to keep that constant or get it to return. Right. There's a chance I lost a bunch of that over evaporation. Mm -hmm. And that's a good point. And and what I would encourage, you know, again, because a lot of what we're doing now is pad drilling. We've got multiple rigs similar, you know, in, in the same proximity, drilling the same wells with a lot of the same sort of specs and programmed weights and oil water ratios and everything else. But if you're a mud engineer out there, you know, talk to your neighbors and say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, what do you typically track? Or, you know, what do you got, you know, assuming you're, you know, same company, work for the same operator or something. Because what I think is important and something I want to drive home is if you're in an area, you know, communicate well with your office and field supervisors and fellow mud engineers to make sure you've got some consistency. And then, you know, double check with the operator to see if they're cool with that. And some may say, well, you know, it doesn't matter, just figure it out. Or some might actually, depending on how sort of like 
granular. They're wanting to understand where every single droplet of oil-based or water-based mud is, some more than others. But what I think it's worth a conversation and it's being consistent and having somewhat of a justification as to how you're coming up with those numbers. Because I've seen those numbers kind of get made up, not necessarily made up, but it's like, well, it must have been evaporation where we lost this extra 30 barrels. And again, it's tough to say, right? It may have been, but it, it may not have been. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a risk of taking license with evaporation just because it, it literally disappeared off into space, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. there is an element of this where like, don't know, must be evaporation. And somebody's like, you really think you lost 50 barrels today? Like, that probably didn't happen. Right. But I think if you compare notes with the neighbors and everybody say, look, I added this much water. This is sort of where my volume landed. By that logic, relative to what I'm used to losing on cuttings, like, I'm getting five barrels, like sure. that seems about right. I think if you have enough people respond and say, that's about what I see in these typical conditions, it's probably close to that. Yeah. And I think process of elimination can kind of help you get there, but you should have some justification for it. Yeah. Like the worst possible thing is you come from some HPHT well and then show up and you start writing off, you know, <laughs> 25 barrels to evaporation and everybody's like, Really? Really? Like, how'd you get that? I need to know how you got there. This is so out of the ordinary. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's what I normally do. It's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's come up with a process. Yeah. No, that's true. And I guess, is there, and I don't believe there is, but there's no technology or equipment that would measure something like that. Is there that you're aware of, like offshore? Or like, have you heard of anything? No, I mean, once again, it's sort of going to vary, right? So there, you could certainly measure like the vapor pressures and that sort of thing. But once again, it's going to be subject to the humidity. It's going to be subject to like, even wind, you know? Yeah. How often are you circulating for? Yeah. So I think the main thing is this starts becoming a material factor the hotter you get. Right. And because you are actually losing that much water it's going to affect mud quality and you're going to have to put that much water back. Right. And so I think some of this sort of sorts itself out that as long as, you know, especially with oil base where you're adding oil at the same time and you know what proportions you've been adding it in, you know, the volumes of your additions and you know where you end up, you have a pretty good idea of what's disappearing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So be logical. That mm -hmm. would be my encouragement. Yes. There are people who put some equations out there, they might be fair just because maybe you can get everybody to agree on them, but they're far from perfect because they don't account for a number of these variables either. Right. And so you just, you have to get something everybody's comfortable with, but most of the types of wells we drill, it's not a game changer. It's not so much money that we should cool off the flow line or something like that Yeah. to limit it. But some of these hotter wells in South Texas or Mississippi or, you know, some of these places, it may be more than you think if right. you're used to relatively benign flow line temperatures. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, if you're out there wondering, well, how much should I count for evaporation? Well, it kind of depends. And there's a lot of inputs that go into that. And again, speak to, you know, the people that you're working with and communicate with, you know, whether it be the engineering or your account manager and just make sure everyone's on the same page. So you don't start, you know, assuming a ton more than you should. And then you're left with trying to figure out how you got there. But it's a good conversation, Matt. It's again, it's kind of one of those grayish areas. But I know for us here, we do a good job of 
you know, kind of like going through sort of the different steps and figuring out what works best and based off the different factors. And again, if anyone out there has a, a fancy way of doing it or they've come up with an amazing formula, you share it with us. You never know yeah. who's out there working Let's on something. change the game. Yeah, exactly. So anything else, Matt, with regards to evaporation? I guess the other thought I would have is the interesting part with oil-based you're going to have a little bit more of some of those tells, right? Of, I mean, look, oil can evaporate too, don't get me wrong, but water's going to evaporate much more quickly. Yeah. But you're going to see some of those shifts, and so it's almost, to some degree, a little bit easier to account for. Yeah. But with water-based, you're already going through a ton of volume anyways, and so it's a little... Water-based, you're going to see more evaporation or see more of the effects of evaporation, but it's also probably going to be matter less in your overall volume accounting because you're going to build a lot more volume that day. Yeah. You're going to dilute a lot more anyways. So where the stakes are quote unquote higher for fluid quality, the volume accounting stakes are probably a little lower. Makes sense. Yeah. And I guess too, is like, if you are seeing a considerable amount of evaporation, the question is, well, you know, and someone out there might be like, well, what are some telltale signs that we're evaporating a lot? And then, you know, which would say, okay, we're getting dehydrated, which I think is kind of another topic of mud dehydration, which we can mm. talk about. We may have brought it up in the past, but again, it could lead into that. But again, I don't think it's, as long as you're maintaining regular dilution rates, I don't think all of a sudden like our mud's dehydrated. We must be evaporating a ton of fluid. Mm. Uh, I don't think it worked quite at that point. But again, it's, again, it's just, you know an interesting conversation. And if anyone out there has any stories or any good information they'd like to add to the conversation, please reach out to us. You can reach us on LinkedIn or you can send us an email at the flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. And for those that are looking for more information, you know, please subscribe. We've got a library of, you know, a hundred and shoot, almost 200 episodes now of just great, good conversation about technical topics. Baseball, obviously, <laughs> Matt's been keeping us, you know, up to date on everything Astros. And we really appreciate the support. Follow us on, we've got a YouTube channel. We've got LinkedIn, Instagram, just constantly putting out good informational content to the ecosystem and really appreciate everyone listening. Until next time, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.